0: Welcome back, everybody, to season two.
1: Hey, oh my God, I'm so excited to be back. We know you missed us. <laughs> okay, old Greg. Because <laughs> we missed you.
0: <laughs> no, seriously, welcome back to season two of Gals and Gore. I am so excited that. Yay. Like, we made an entire season one and. Now we're in season two. It just feels really sur- surreal.
1: I know. I thought we were going to make like two episodes and then fucking jet, but we really stuck through it. <laughs> We've really just been <laughs> sticking with this, yo. I'm so proud of us. I do girl. have to admit I am a little surprised at us right now, but it's just fun. I'm having so much fun with you. Girl, same. This is like a really strange and unconventional therapy session. It is. <laughs> Dude,
0: I know, and you know, like we said, murder takes a toll on the soul, but we've had a break, and we're ready to get back into all the good things.
1: And all the bad things. All the bad things. (laughs) Definitely the bad things.
0: So, if this is your first time tuning in with us, I'm Scotty.
1: And I'm Melissa,
0: And And we are Gals Gals and
1: Gore. Oh, did you plan that, you big sneaky? (laughs) I didn't. It never comes out at the same time
0: on the recording, anyway. So I'll probably just be like, "Fuck, Gals and Gore, Gals and Gore." Oh my god! Wow. <laughs> Did you plan that? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I do want to apologize for
1: the really bad audio
0: quality at the beginning of season one.
1: Oh god, it was so bad, but we were like just starting off; we had no clue. Yeah, we didn't,
0: but we fixed it. So you know, if this is your first episode. Welcome to the good audio. Yeah. It's a good place. And, you know, make sure that you like us before you go back and submit yourself to that torture of listening to oh. those awful old audios. You really just have they're to just be not, – They're
1: not the worst, but they're not the best. But then we fixed it, like, maybe before halfway.
0: You have to be dedicated to get through it. I'll say that.
1: But dedicate yourself, okay? Do You this. can do
0: anything you put your mind to. Yeah. Even get through
1: our bad audio. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> Still a good story though. I believe in you guys. So go do it. Right after we took off
0: for the break, um something really bad happened. This huge hurricane came through and just yes. completely ripped through my hometown in Louisiana and Alyssa stayed in her house and weathered the storm. A lot of my family had to evacuate here to Austin. And I mean, there is just complete devastation from Hurricane Laura right now.
1: Yeah, it's really bad. Oh, God. I mean, like, there are really no words to even like explain what happened in Louisiana, especially in Lake Charles and like, you know, the Southwest. It was just so sad. And people have lost everything, including their routines, you know, their
0: Yeah, so a ton of people are living in like third world conditions right now. There's no water, there's no electricity, but these people are so tough and they are so committed to rebuilding their communities that they would rather, you know, be home and fixing their houses and uh, cleaning up these, you know, fallen trees that they're, they're flushing their toilets with pool water. And yeah. they're, you know, hand-washing their clothes and hanging them out to dry. And, you know, a lot of people, including people in my family, have lost their entire houses. So we want to dedicate this episode to all the victims of Hurricane Laura. And we want to say that we are with you, we stand with you, and our hearts definitely go out to you. If you want to donate to the victims of Hurricane Laura, you can go to our Instagram at Gals and Gore all in word, and you can follow the link in our bio, and there is a way for you to give monetary donations or supply donations to the Cajun Navy.
1: No donation is too small. Please consider helping us out in this state that we're in because everything helps, even like some good thoughts sent our way.
0: Yeah, and even just like raising awareness and letting other people know what's going on uh, because... a lot of people aren't aware of the situation and how bad that it really is. So Yeah,
1: I mean, this, this storm and the damage that these people have suffered through really isn't getting any coverage, any news coverage. Yeah, so
0: do some uh, research, check things out, consider donating. We love the Cajun Navy. They're a nonprofit organization. They work in search and rescue. They work in donations and supplies, and they're directly on the ground helping people um get you know put putting roofs on their house putting food in their mouths and just even helping people like wash their clothes is just crazy so definitely check that out there's a lot more people than the last time that we saw you guys that are following us and i think that that's pretty amazing
1: uh yeah oh my god like it's crazy but it's 2020 so has been horrible, right? <laughs> oh, my God. 2020 has been like a literal toilet bowl of a year. Okay, so we posted this
0: Instagram post with this meme of Matthew McConaughey. And it says, congratulations, you made it to August 2020. Make some noise. And it's Matthew McConaughey like screaming, crying. And he's like, oh. oh, my God. <laughs> We've had 1,052 people like that post. And I just want to say <laughs> – we're here for you we feel you man we are here for you it's just like you know what fresh hell is september (laughs) gonna bring oh my god
1: oh my god hopefully it brings some fucking cool air and some amazing things because you know know. what i'm i'm claiming it i'm claiming that the rest of this year is gonna be amazing and fabulous say it with your words yes say it feel it be it you're a, a star, baby. Star. You're a
0: star. <laughs> I'm excited for this case today because it's one of our very first requested cases. And this case was suggested by one of my very own sweet friends, Susan S. Susan? And it takes place in my very own Austin, Texas.
1: Oh God. Spooky.
0: Yeah. So I'm like everybody already knows. I'm originally from Louisiana, but I moved here for graduate school. And this is where Susan lives too. So she thought this would be interesting to hear us cover. So we yeah. appreciate the suggestion, Susan.
1: Thanks, Suze. Thanks,
0: girl. Yes. So remember, if you'd like to suggest a case for us to cover, visit our website at www.galsengore.com and click on the menu at the upper right of the screen and click Suggest
1: a Case. So we'd really love to hear from you. Yes, we really would. So this was
0: a case that I have heard of before abstractly but I've never really dug into it so this was really interesting to me especially since I live here in this town now.
1: It's I've I have I know what case you're talking about and it's oh man I've heard it mentioned and it's really sad.
0: Yeah and I know a lot of other people have covered this case as well but I'm excited to talk about it with you because yeah. I'd really like to hear your thoughts um because you know you and wait. I have some really strong opinions so
1: yeah, I cannot wait. Yeah, let's just
0: jump into it. Okay. Let's do it, girl. All right. On a cold December Friday night in 1991, mm-hmm. which is funny because my last case was in 1991, too. <laughs> You've got a year. That's the year I was born, honey.
1: Girl. Oh my I God. It's
0: a good year. Not for murders, but for me because I was born. <laughs> The Austin, Texas City Police Department was called to the scene of a fire inside of a business called I Can't Believe It's Yogurt.
1: Mm, I love yogurt.
0: It was presumed to be a robbery gone south. Okay. So the police at the time were dispatched and told that there were four people dead at the scene. And when they arrived, they described it as wholesale carnage. Oh, wow. Yes. So it turns out that the four bodies inside belonged to four beautiful, really young girls who were full of life and just taken away way too soon. And it would turn out that the nature of their deaths was even more disturbing than they initially seemed.
1: Oh, God. Okay.
0: Yes. So I watched a documentary on CBS called Innocence Lost, The Yogurt Shop Murders, and Mm -hmm. we'll link that on our website, but it includes testimony from people who were actually – at the scene, like detectives, also, it has the parents speaking about it and reporters all just giving these super heartbreaking accounts of what was found that night. And it still really haunts the Austin area to this day. And I mean, as we can see, it was even, you know, recommended by an Austinite because it still bothers a lot of people here,
1: well, yeah, I'm sure,
0: yeah. So what I'm talking about is none other than the Austin yogurt shop murders. And here's what went down. There were four girls involved. Jennifer Harbison, who was age 17. Eliza Thomas, also 17. Sarah Harbison, who was Jennifer's little sister, age 15. And Amy Ayers, age 13. Their bodies were found dead inside of the yogurt shop that had also been set ablaze. Their bodies were tied up, stripped nude, and stacked on top of each other and then burned. What? Yes. Yes.
1: Oh my God. Okay. So that seems like kind of a crazy age range. Were they all customers? Um, Well, we'll get into that
0: in a second. It took years for this case to catch any real traction. And it wasn't even until 1999 that there were even any suspects or arrests and, you know, beginning a sense of closure for these families. And this case just continues to keep coming up It keeps stumping law enforcement, and it keeps just dragging these poor families of these girls through the literal flames, but this case still remains cold and unsolved to this day.
1: Wait, it's still unsolved?
0: Yes, it's still unsolved.
1: Oh my God, okay.
0: Yes. So let me answer your question, and let's go to the night of the murders. Okay. On that Friday night, 17-year-old Jennifer Harbison and also 17-year-old Eliza Thomas were working at the I Can't Believe It's Yogurt Shop. And they were working the closing shift for the night. And during that shift, they were joined by Jennifer's 15-year-old sister, Sarah Harbison, and her friend, 13-year-old Amy Ayers. Um, The two younger girls had just come from the north cross mall they had walked there and they were planning a sleepover together later that night at sarah's house and they had gone to the shop to catch a ride home with jennifer after her shift
1: oh man so her little sister went meet her
0: yes with her 13-year-old friend
1: oh that's so fucking sad you know how i hate that that is like that's just such a bad i don't want to say coincidence but that's a bad coincidence
0: yeah, I mean, it really is, like, wrong place at the wrong time yeah. to the extreme. And I think that was also what made it so bad was that these girls were so young and so innocent, you know? Yeah, that's
1: uh, – okay. Yeah. That's horrible.
0: So many of the actual details of the murders themselves are really foggy. Um, but what is known is that as of 10 p.m., the girls were all in the shop, they were all safe, and they were all alive. Around midnight, a patrolling police officer from the Austin Police Department noticed that the yogurt shop's building was burning, so he called for backup.
1: Wait, burning? Like it was on fire?
0: Yes, like it was completely on fire. Somebody had set it on fire. And so the police showed up responding to a fire, but the teenage girl's bodies, however, weren't found until after the fire was extinguished.
1: Wait, so they had firefighters going into the shop to light, to like get rid of the fire, but they didn't notice any bodies. How does that?
0: Yeah. So actually it was a pretty big fire that encompassed that shop and some of the other buildings around it. So the firefighters showed up and they were extinguishing these fires, you know, because it had spread and they got Mm. the main part of the fire out And they were continuing to work on putting out the fire, and whenever they walked into the yogurt shop, someone tripped over something, and when Mm -hmm. they looked down, they realized that it was a body.
1: (gasps) Oh, my God. I bet they literally shit. Yes, they
0: freaked out, and they were like, oh, my God, this is more than a fire. This wasn't just a robbery. There's more going on here.
1: Yes right oh my god how oh my god how terrifying to think that you're going to just put out a fire and then you come upon a body
0: yeah and not just one body okay so as I mentioned before the girls bodies were found just in the most horrifying way they were their bodies were stacked on top of each other
1: they were completely
0: naked Mm. and they were gagged with their own clothes
1: they were naked?
0: Yes, they were naked. Oh my god. And they were gagged with their own clothes. So one of the detectives in the documentary said, you know, I have responded to homicides before, but never four at one time. And it was just oh, absolutely traumatizing.
1: That is so sad.
0: Yes. And what's even more, each girl had a single gunshot wound to her head execution style mm. with a twenty two caliber lead bullet. So something else about the girls, their legs were spread wide open and there was an ice cream scoop placed between one of their legs.
1: Oh my god, that sounds that sounds really like just personal,
0: right? Or just something just disturbing, especially cuz they were in a yogurt shop. So their bodies, you know, again were just burned almost beyond recognition and the killer had left napkins and like other flammable items that were in the shop and they doused them and the bodies in lighter fluid before lighting the shop ablaze and fleeing.
1: Oh my god. Okay. So normally whenever we see this type of um gunshot wound we think like professional hit or we think gang violence or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something like that. I mean, what were they thinking? Was it robbery? What I mean.
0: I think what they had originally assumed was that it was kind of like a robbery gone wrong.
1: Okay. But there really yeah. weren't any
0: answers. That's what kind of it, it stumped the police because it just seemed so senseless. And, you know, these gunshot wounds also led law enforcement to believe that the girls had been shot and killed and then stacked up and then the yogurt shop was set on
1: fire. So the fire was basically like um, a way to kind of get rid of evidence?
0: Right. Yeah, that's what they assumed was that they had killed these girls and then okay. they had set the fire to kind of like try to get rid of the bodies, I guess. Right.
1: Okay. That I mean, yeah, that, that would make sense. Right. So
0: unlike the other girls, though, Amy, who remember was just 13 at the time, her body was found in a separate part of the shop away from the pile of bodies. So... What? Yes, she was not as charred completely like the other girls were, but she had received second and very early third-degree burns on 25 to 30% of her body.
1: So they found Amy in a different part with less Mm -hmm. burns, right? Yes, yes. How? So she was found
0: with a sock-like cloth around her neck, and she had been shot the same as the others. However, the bullet had missed her brain.
1: Oh, my God. Do not tell me she was still alive and burned She to death.
0: was still alive. Mm. So she had a second bullet, which did severe damage to her brain, and it exited through her lateral cheek and jawline.
1: Oh, oh my God. That poor girl. Yes,
0: yeah, so she did not die immediately. So the theory goes that the killer or the killers had, you know, shot all four of the girls. They shot Amy. She was still mm. alive, Right. And they stacked all four of the girls on top of one another. But Amy pulled herself out of the pile and managed to crawl to another part of the store.
1: (gasps) Poor thing.
0: Oh, my God. Yes. So she was still alive while she was burning. And Sarah and Eliza's bodies were found stacked on top of each other with Jennifer's body next to them, which they suppose was, you know, possibly also stacked on top of the other two girls, but was disturbed or knocked over when Amy crawled away trying
1: to get to freedom. Oh my god, that poor girl. Can you imagine?
0: No, I I can't, especially even that the will to survive being so strong that you've had, you know, not been shot just once in the head, but twice. Right. And that it's exited your cheek and your jawline and you just unimaginable pain and then realizing that you're going to burn alive if you don't get
1: out. Yeah. She was probably in a lot of shock and didn't register half of the pain or even half of what was going on. Right. Um, And it's amazing what, you
0: know, human bodies can withstand as far as trying to survive. And it seems like she was really fighting and really trying to get out of that shop. But, you know, eventually from blood loss or you know, from from inhaling yeah. smoke, she she did end up succumbing and dying. Oh,
1: poor thing. Oh, my and gosh. And she was only 13.
0: I mean, can you imagine that?
1: No, I can't. And that makes me feel so sick. I mean, I all murder makes me feel sick, but someone so young, it's so I know. sad.
0: My oldest niece is a year older than that. So when I think about a 13-year-old girl, it, just, it really breaks yeah. my heart. There was also the suspected use of fire accelerant at the scene, which did lend to the theory that somebody started the fire to cover up the murdered girls' bodies.
1: Okay. That's what I thought.
0: Yeah. So there was also a source. I found something that said that the girls' bodies showed high levels of BTU outputs. And. What's that? I don't know what a BTU is. Or I didn't know what a BTU was. So don't laugh at me, but. Um, A BTU is a British thermal unit, but I'm not sure if that's correct because, you know, first of all, it was from Wikipedia, and second of all, you know, not that Wikipedia is not awesome for a lot of stuff, but a BTU is kind of how you measure heat output from any type of heating source, like a propane tank or a heater or something like that, so Mm-hmm. I started to do some research on this fire and, um, or just fire and arson deaths in general, of course. Yeah. And um, I could not leave well enough alone. And I did find a strange study from the Czech Republic about corpses heating up after death. Like,
1: like spontaneous combustion
0: almost like spontaneous combustion and it was published in the American Journal of Forensic Medicine and Pathology and I'll link where I got that information
1: as well so okay, I'm about to say I'm super weirded out because I literally just finished reading a bunch of stuff about spontaneous combustion the other day and it had, no, it had for no reason but I was just yeah,
0: well, I mean, there is a lot of, like, scientific evidence that talks <laughs> about, you know, like, cell movement and the body heating up. But it didn't make sense to yeah. me that they would be taking the temperatures of the girls' bodies if they were so obviously burned, you know?
1: Right, yeah. So, of course, sure. I just
0: – I really could not leave this alone, and I had to look into it. So um, this study did say that corpses have heated up after death. Um, so in 1839, a physician, John Davy, documented some unusually high temperatures in the bodies of some British soldiers who died in Malta. Um, and some of the corpses even got as hot as 113 degrees Fahrenheit post mortem. What? Yeah. So, cause, That's isn't wild. it weird because you think that a corpse is going to be cold, right? When you touch it, it's going to be cold. But they kept picking up these bodies, and they were warm and and hot. And some of it did lend to the temperature outside, but there were some other bodies that had the same phenomenon that weren't outside either. So
1: Hmm. it was
0: really weird. Um, But there really haven't been enough extensive studies done on this to solidify that. Um, So like I said, perhaps they were taking the temps from the girls, but obviously they were burned Yeah. You know, so I don't know if that's necessarily super true. Um, So I did do some research on autopsies after bodies have been burned to try and see how they could figure out these types of things. And this is a quote that I came across in my research. And it says, quote, There is no body so badly burned or decomposed that it does not deserve an autopsy. And that was from Charles P. Larson, M.D. of Tacoma, Washington, who's now deceased.
1: But Wait, what do you mean doesn't, like, that doesn't deserve an autopsy please don't tell me that somebody in this case did not get an autopsy no they did do autopsies that's how they found out that the girls had gunshot wounds i was just trying to figure
0: out what they were referring to by saying that the bodies pointed to an accelerant being used so i started doing this deep dive into autopsies on bodies that are burned or charred and this site that I was finding this information went on to say this. And I'm just going to quote it directly from the site because this was really disturbing to me, but it was also kind of helpful in terms of autopsies of like burn bodies that we can use this information going forward. So it says a steak may be charred on the outside, but the inner parts, especially if the meat is thick may still be edible after we have cut the overcooked outer portions away. Likewise, in the case of bodies, The outside can be blackened and parts of the limbs completely destroyed, while the inner parts remain comparatively well-preserved, frequently allowing Mm -hmm. us ample opportunity to make identification, determine whether a person was alive or deceased at the time of the fire, determine manner of death, and etc. Huh.
1: Okay. I mean, that's a really gross comparison it is but i think it but, helps okay.
0: us kind of be able to visualize how cuz whenever i think yeah. of bodies being burned i just think of like a pile of ash right yeah but that's not yeah. true in every case so it turns out teeth are also really hard to destroy too and with 32 teeth in the adult human mouth it's really easy to identify a body with just a couple of teeth right so Okay. Some other information that's probably not relevant, but that I also found extremely interesting because I've always wondered like, I said, how is anything even left of these bodies? So it would take an extreme amount of heat to destroy an adult human body. Using a gas fired mm-hmm. furnace, the process of cremation in the United States usually takes about two to three hours at a temperature of roughly 1500 to 1900 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Okay. So to destroy a body in other terms, you would need about 40 to 60 liters of fuel oil. So let's say 50 liters for an average body size. Mm -hmm. You would need about 660 pounds or 300 kilograms for our European friends of wood. For example, like Indian outdoor funeral pyres. That's how much wood it would take to burn a body fully 660 pounds. Yes. Or, in more modern terms, a 1,000-watt electric heater for 135 hours. Oh, my God. Yes. That is excessive. I know. Or the energy released by about 115 to 120 pounds of TNT. Jesus Christ. So for anybody who's looking at cases where bodies have been burned, it really takes a lot of energy and heat to fully burn a body.
1: So, yeah, wow. So, I mean, like a cream, like cremation. I mean, yeah,
0: you have to burn a body at 1900 degrees Fahrenheit for three hours to destroy it.
1: Yeah, that's serious. Yeah. I mean, that's not like, that's fucking serious. That's all I can say. That's not like a weekend activity. Like, this is not a a (laughs) how-to,
0: but if you're thinking about getting rid of a body by burning it, it's probably not going to work.
1: A backyard barbecue just won't do Sally. No.
0: I mean, and think about like, you know, these civilizations and back in the day that did funeral pyres, That's so much wood that you would have had to actually gather to burn a
1: body. That is a lot of wood and I mean, a lot of, a lot of effort. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I guess more or so this fire was started to probably burn evidence, not so much the bodies.
0: Right. And I kind of digressed about that, but. I did find all of that super interesting. So, yeah, if this person was trying to get rid of the bodies, all they really did was mm-hmm. get rid of a lot of evidence because burning a body to nothing is really a prolonged, full-on right project.
1: It's a it's a whole job. Yeah, it's gonna take a while.
0: Yeah. Anyway, so this is how they were able to determine the gunshot wounds. The manner of the gunshot, (laughs) how Amy's gunshot hadn't killed her immediately, all that Mm -hmm. stuff. Because that was what I thought. How can they tell this from burned bodies? So the million-dollar question, though, is who did it, right? Yeah. Isn't it always? Yeah. And at the time, interestingly enough, there was a known serial killer in the Austin area named Kenneth Allen McDuff. And he was known for murders involving teenagers, which is perhaps another story for another day. But he was soon ruled out and executed for his own crimes in November of
1: 1998. Oh, okay. So it was not him. It was not. And the
0: original investigation lasted eight years, and the police were pretty much stymied. Yeah. And there was, however, a string of false confessions. The police in Austin admitted that over 50 people confessed to the yogurt shop murders.
1: Okay, I am so weirded out by false confessions because I don't know why why the fuck would you say you did something if you didn't? That just I mean like obviously you're mentally ill or you or you're mentally ill and you really want attention, I don't know, or maybe you believe that you did it. Yeah. But like what in the fuck?
0: Or um if you remember watching the Netflix series Making a Murderer, police coercion yeah. is a really big deal too. So a yeah, lot of times when you have this many people falsely confessing to a crime, there is some type of inappropriate police work happening, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's true. this included two completely unrelated Mexican men in 1992. And guess who else confessed to it? You're going to love this.
1: Jeffrey Dahmer. Just kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> who?
0: So on his execution deathbed, a deathbed confession for you. Oh, you know how I feel about that. I know. That. Or just technically, I guess, on the day of his execution, Kenneth McDuff, the serial killer from earlier, confessed <gasps> to the crimes of as course. well. Yeah. But like I said, he didn't commit them. So,
1: And you know what? That's really just selfish. I know. <laughs> you know how. I, I'm so aggravated with deathbed death confession. As
0: soon as I read that, I was like, oh, this is going to love this one. So,
1: How dramatic. Yes. So I didn't ask this earlier, but were the girls sexually assaulted?
0: Like we had just, you know, extensively talked about autopsies, you know, the autopsies that were done on the girls did, you know, uncover that they were all shot in the back of the head and at least two of them were raped for sure. And the authorities also reported that two different guns had been used in the murders, which kind of lends to the theory that there was more than one murderer. And there was also about $540 missing from the store as well.
1: Right. So, I mean, like, let's, let's really look here. Is the motive robbery for $500? These people obviously weren't very smart because if you're going
0: to try to commit a robbery, why would you hit a yogurt shop? That's obviously not going to have, you know, a shit ton of money inside of it. Why wouldn't you rob something that you know is going to have a lot more revenue? Um, So, I don't know if maybe these were just really short-sighted killers. They were like, yeah, maybe they saw these young girls and thought the shop was an easy target They, you know, got the money, they ended up raping them, and then they were like, we got to get rid of all this evidence and just set it all on fire.
1: But I mean, God, how unfortunate for those girls.
0: This case was even a little complicated from the inside, though. So, after the string of false confessions, Detective Hector Planko was later fired for, like we said, possibly forcing confessions during this case and other cases that had been going on at the time. So...
1: Mm -hmm. not
0: a good look right
1: no that's not and i mean that you know things like that just make it harder for the people who are actually trying to do their job right right and
0: polanco actually was reinstated later though after he sued the city for racial discrimination and he eventually was able to retire with a full pension but we know that false confessions due to police coercion are a thing so get this he was also involved in coercing a false confession in a previous murder case, which led to the false imprisonment of two men, Christopher Ochoa and Richard Danzinger. And when they found this out, both were released after 13 years in prison. Danzinger was actually assaulted in prison, which resulted in permanent brain damage.
1: <gasps> oh my God. That makes me so sad because, you know, you're using pe- like maybe possibly innocent people to... Just be your scapegoat for something terrible that happened and you give way to other terrible things. Right. And
0: I mean, you know, I feel like this man, you know, Detective Planco really was just trying to do his job and he was trying to be really good at it. But by actually coercing these people into confessions, he let, you know, real killers get away. And his actions caused this man to have a permanent irreversible brain damage injury.
1: Yeah, he ruined those guys' lives. I mean, that's terrible. Yeah. So, like I said... It's a lot of stuff going on in the
0: police department. There was a break though. In 1999, four men were arrested as suspects in the murder. Their names were Michael Scott, not from the sitcom The Office. He was 25 and he was from Buda, Texas. He was arrested in the Austin area. Robert Springsteen, no relation to Bruce Springsteen. He was 24 and he was arrested in West Virginia. Forrest Welburn Age 23, he was picked up in Lockhart, Texas, just southeast of Austin. And Maurice Pierce, who was 24, he was arrested north of Dallas. These four men were arrested because two of them actually confessed to the crimes, and one of them confessed to murdering and raping one of the girls. And in their confessions, they implicated two of the other men. So that's how they came to be arrested. Yes. Okay. So two of the guys, Michael Scott and Maurice Pierce's cases, did go to trial while the others were subsequently dropped. And they were actually both convicted by the jury. Um, Springsteen was sentenced to death and Scott received life in prison.
1: Oh, God. Okay. Yeah.
0: So they, the families did feel like there was some closure, but over the next five years, more complications would arise that the police never saw coming. So in 2006 and 2007, the courts overturned the guilty verdicts for Springsteen and Scott after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in a separate case that these two men had received unfair trials. And the reason being was because their statements could not be used against each other because it violated their constitutional rights to confront their accusers. So both of their cases got kicked back to Travis County to decide whether or not the men should be retried for the crimes. Okay. There was something important collected at the crime scene, though, that we haven't talked about yet. And it was a single strand of DNA that was collected from one of the victim's bodies. Semen? Well... It actually wasn't a full strand of DNA, so there wasn't enough to actually point to one person specifically. Mm -hmm. So whatever it was, it had been damaged enough to where it wasn't a full enough sample. Oh, damn. Yes. So in 2007, the prosecutors learned about a new science that could extract the YSTR strain from a sample, which is like the male-only DNA from a sample, um, and at mm-hmm. the time when it was collected originally, science wasn't advanced enough to, like, use this technique to narrow down the field of suspects. So, in 2008, Scott and Springsteen's lawyers requested a DNA test when they learned about this new technology. And the DNA test determined that none of the four men who were arrested were the killers. Oh, my God. So, what the fuck? Right. <laughs> Exactly. And Scott and Springsteen were then released in two thousand and nine and the Travis County prosecutors decided not to retry the men. And seven of the jurors from the original trial said they would have never convicted the men had they had that evidence Known that, available to yeah. them. Obviously, right.
1: Yeah, that's really fucked up. Yeah, and we talk about this, but they confessed.
0: Yeah, they confessed. Exactly. That's what we know. False confessions are a thing because of police coercion. So, so weird. Uh, Okay. Side note: Our old pal Maurice Pierce, one of the men who was convicted. He was actually blocked in a traffic stop by two police officers named Frank Wilson and Bradley Smith in December of 2010 in North Austin, which is where I live. After a foot pursuit, okay, he ran away from the police officers. I don't know why, but Wilson, the police officer, tackled Pierce, who then took a knife out of his belt and stabbed Wilson in the neck.
1: What? Yes. Why?
0: Because they were following him? He was running from the police. The police officer tackled him. Pierce took out a knife and stabbed the officer in the neck.
1: Oh, wow. I guess he was
0: like, I'm already too far into this. Might as well keep going.
1: Man, some people just really go too far. Like
0: you gotta know when you gotta stop when you're ahead, buddy. You know, like just let them take yeah. you. So
1: yeah. crazy
0: enough, the officer Wilson survived his injuries. Praise God! I Poor know, thing. right? But he pulled out a gun after getting, you know, stabbed in the fucking neck and shot and killed Pierce. Womp womp.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: So, oh, man. I'm not saying that these men were innocent. They just weren't guilty of these murders.
1: I'm not saying they don't suck. <laughs> but but I they suck.
0: suck. Yeah. So, now all we have is an incomplete strand of DNA with a possible male field of suspects, right? And yeah. at this point, I just have, have, have to recommend this true crime book that was written about this case. It's extremely thorough, and it's called... Who Killed These Girls? The Unsolved Murders That Rocked a Texas Town. Um, It was written in 2016 by Beverly Lowry, and it's very popular, very informative. So if you're into true crime writing, you need it. Um, We're going to link it for you on our website, on the sources pages, and also on our book recommendations page um, on the Gals Recommend. Some other books have been written too, but this was by far one of the most popular ones. Okay. Okay. But this isn't where the story ends. Okay, so that's where the true crime book was written. But in an article that I found from February of 2020 this year, Hmm. it stated that in 2017, the DNA sample actually hit a match to one that the Hmm. FBI had uploaded anonymously into a public research database from a university in Florida for a population study.
1: What? Is that even legal? It
0: is legal, but now we're getting into some sticky territory, okay? So, wanting to close this decades-old case, obviously, Austin investigators asked for the information about the matching DNA, but the FBI refused to give it to them. (gasps) Why? I feel like that's everybody else's question, and there are a lot of answers to that. But this basically started a three-year-long battle between Austin and the FBI for these DNA samples, which is still going on. And the oh. FBI says that giving this information could be unconstitutional overreach because it's just yeah. partial DNA. It's not a full sample. So, you know, they'll be given a pool of suspects not one right. specific person. And this pool could even Is be... Is this like familial DNA? Um, Well, yeah. They said that it was given in like a, an anonymous population study. So I think it's in the same realm as familial DNA. So... Gotcha. It would give them a pool of suspects that could be even in the thousands, right? Wow. Yeah. So... But still... Yeah. And the FBI says that it's unfair to all the families that, you know, it would put them through this scrutiny when it's not more narrowed down. I'm just like... Yeah, so federal law states that the FBI can share it in an anonymized format, but they cannot allow it to be traced to any individuals.
1: Um. Okay, so that's like, I'm going to bake cookies and you can lick it, you can smell it. But you can't eat it. You can't have it.
0: Exactly. And the FBI even went so far as to say that the Austin officials are, quote, overstating its significance.
1: Excuse me? Right. This is DNA in a murder investigation. I don't think that this is, like overstating any significance. Right, exactly. And so Austin, you know,
0: the people who are advocates of this say, hey, like, we need to use the science to figure this out, right? This person could be a killer. Whoever did this is still out there. And, you know, they could have done a ton of other terrible stuff. Like, we need to catch them, right? Right. But other people do say that it's too close to overreach and that it violates the privacy of too many innocent people.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, this is just, like, weird, though. Like, when you want to know? I mean, that's what I would think is that you
0: would want to know. But to this current day, the FBI is repeatedly denying the efforts to get the information of where and how the DNA was even obtained, citing that the study was anonymous. So...
1: Mm, that sounds really
0: sketchy. It is sketchy. And the families feel really hurt. They feel like they're being denied information that could lead to the killers of their children, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, like, and that's, I think that's kind of fucked up that they're like, hey, we found some DNA, but you can't have it. We have
0: it. We hit a match to your partial DNA suspect, but we're not going to give it to you. So in a statement of response, the FBI said, the FBI did not perform forensic DNA testing in this case and cannot speak to this case.
1: What does that even mean? The FBI is so fucking sketch, man. I know. I know you guys are listening. (laughs) You hear it. You're probably listening before we even, like, put this out. So, again, if me and Alyssa get whacked, you know who did it. It wasn't anybody we know. It was the FBI. Definitely. So, I mean, I don't know. Couldn't her—couldn't the families of the victims say that it's unconstitutional to not give them due process and— let the police have this, uh, this DNA. Yeah. And
0: I mean, I guess this is where, you know, I was saying we get into a sticky situation because there is a constitutional right for anonymity whenever you give DNA or something like that in the format of being anonymous. Oh, okay. And,
1: yeah, you know, the
0: FBI did comment further to say that basically allowing this to happen, allowing this DNA information to be, transferred would be opening up a bigger can of worms like you know Mm -hmm. they're saying that suspicions would be cast on innocent family members and you know that the numbers would be in the hundreds of thousands and they said quote this isn't like we open the envelope and we know who the killer is we open the envelope and we find out that the killer's last name is jones
1: i just still think though that it's sketchy yeah
0: so i mean there are a lot of things in play here we've got we do have families that deserve due process and we do need this case closed and we do have on the other side, you know, the constitutional issue of your DNA and your information being safe, because whoever gave this DNA could very possibly not be the actual killer, but just could be someone related to the killer and it could cause a witch hunt. And not only that, but They'd have to start giving out DNA to everybody who asked about any related case at all in the U.S.
1: Right. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I definitely can see where that would get weird and not and muddled. not even fair. Yeah. yeah.
0: Definitely. So that's where we are right now in 2020. It's almost 30 years later. There are no new leads. There's a standoff with the FBI. We've got a partial strand of DNA and no justice for these four girls.
1: Wow. Well, that really fucking sucks. I mean, yeah. I don't there's even no know way to say it. But, no, there's not. Cause I mean, what the fuck? Yeah. Exactly. Seriously, like that's really all I can say is like, what the fuck? Like there was two men that were tried and convicted, then let out. You know the stains don't match. I mean, like you know what else could they possibly do? I guess they could try to go through familial DNA and. See if they could do it that way instead of going through the FBI, but I don't know. I don't it's know. It feels like we're just in this gridlock of not
0: being able to know what to do. And it was almost, it was almost the perfect crime, you know, like all of the DNA was almost destroyed, but they found a partial strand. And I guess the hope of these families is that one day we'll be able to link it back to potential suspects and and figure this out so this is something I'm definitely going to stay on top of and I want to keep looking for answers and I thought it was crazy that we had so many updates even in 2020 that so many
1: people in Austin are
0: still looking for these answers
1: yeah that's I don't know if people could see my face right now I feel like touched out I'm like uh, (laughs) I'm like where what are you even looking at you're just like oh my god this is insane well I'm just yeah I'm just staring and I'm like zoned out because like We have a potential pot of answers, but we can't do anything with it. Right. And we can't even know it. Yeah. Can't even, like, look at it. Yeah. That's where we're
0: at with the Austin Yogurt Shop murders. And, I mean, hopefully one day somebody submits, you know, their DNA to, like, 23andMe, and it comes back, (laughs) and they're like, your father was the killer. I mean, you know, I don't hope that for that person, but. I do hope that these people can actually, you know, get some justice and some closure because this really sucks.
1: Yeah, this is horrible. Uh, The poor families,
0: those poor girls, I mean. And just the knowledge that whoever did this is still walking around Austin. Or he could have left the scene, you know, but I think. Cold cases suck. Yeah, they do. The audacity of you to be unsolved.
1: How dare ye how dare you How dare you (sighs) that's it thanks for ruining my whole day
0: you're so welcome
1: you're the best (laughs) you're the best well that's uh
0: i guess we have really have susan to thank for that thanks sus i was up until like two in the morning researching this case and i just don't feel any better about it or any sense of closure and that's
1: Mm -mm. that's where we're at
0: that was really something gal (laughs) Thanks, but no thanks. You really did that. You really did that. <laughs> Thank you. So if you guys want any more information on our sources or where we got any of our information, you can visit
1: our website at www.galsengore.com And check out our Instagram at handle galsengore and, and let us know what you think. Yeah. Let us know if you have any theories or what you think the FBI should be doing. Mm-hmm. All the links
0: including where you can donate to victims of Hurricane Laura, all of our book recommendations for true crime, as well as our information for our Gorgler book chats, you can find in our link on Instagram in our bio, or you can find all of that information at galsandgore.com as well. And please, please, please go like, review, and subscribe us because that's how other people find us. Absolutely. We want to be a real, live, big girl podcast.
1: Yeah, I want to be a big, I want to be a real podcast. (laughs)
0: Geppetto, (laughs) since we found out Pinocchio's dad's real name. We see you. (laughs) Geppetto. Anyway, until next time, trust no one.
1: Murder's a killer. Well There's I was this guy playing like the oboe and I was like
0: I love the oboe That's an oh my oboe
1: God. I freaked out and Brandon was like what's an oboe so- What's an
0: oboe not a hobo an oboe
1: <laughs> 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 He was concerned for the life the man's life <laughs>